So we're on the first lesson of the spring quarter. We're switching to the New Testament. We'll be doing the books of Galatians and Ephesians this quarter, starting with Galatians. And the title of the first lesson is Free to Know the Truth. So Lord, we thank you for uh, the Apostle Paul and the book of Galatians and the book of Ephesians, for that matter, both of which were authored by Paul. We thank you that you chose him to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and we're the Gentiles. And so we pray that we would be able to walk in freedom, which is what this book is about. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I just wanted to go over some preliminary things about timing and such. The book of Galatians was written in A.D. 48. So it was the first of Paul's epistles. We have a mnemonic to remember when Paul's epistles were written. Remember, number one was his first missionary journey. Galatians, just one. The second was... His second missionary journey, there were two written. That was First and Second Thessalonians. His third missionary journey, there was three written. That was First and Second Corinthians and Romans. His fourth missionary journey, which is him, his imprisonment, house imprisonment in Rome, four were written, and those are the prison epistles, you know, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. Then he was released from prison and wrote two, and that was First Timothy and Titus. And then he had his second imprisonment in Rome, after which he died, and at that one he wrote Second Timothy. So that's the mnemonic to help remember when his uh, Paul's epistles were written. But this is his first, A.D. 48. And the reason for his writing were, well, first of all, the uh, audience of the book are the Galatians. And the Galatians are the churches he went to on his first missionary journey. They're Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch. Those are uh, the Galatian churches. And after Paul left there, very soon after Paul left there, Judaizers came who were believers, but who were legalists. They were legalistic believers, and they came and they said, number one, that Paul was kind of a second-rate apostle, and number two, that you had to get circumcised and obey the Mosaic law to be a Christian. Um, and this letter was written to argue against that. So, yeah, they were saying that he had to be sanctified by the law after having been saved by grace. Yeah, this book also was the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther loved this book, and it was written prior to the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. So that's, that's it about the book. That's a lot going on there. So, and it's interesting, you'll notice, you know, usually when Paul 
starts off a letter. He he gives his uh, greeting, and then he tells what is good about the church. He tells what is good about the church. In this letter, he doesn't say anything good. He starts to slam them immediately because what they're doing is so serious. So anyway, section A is Paul's greeting to the Galatians, and that's chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'll read that to start us off, okay? Okay. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. So what do you see here about Paul's mindset as he's writing this? Right. Remember what they were saying, his opponents were saying, was he's a second-rate apostle. You know, he just came along later. And, and what does he say in the first sentence? An apostle not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So he's immediately saying he is not a second-rate apostle. Um, God himself sent him. Yeah, so he immediately asserts, it, asserts his apostleship and the fact that it was from God and not man. And you can see that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 7 and 8, it says, Then he, that's Jesus, appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to an untimely born, he appeared to me also. So, the risen Christ appeared to Paul, which, you know, only a, a relative few saw Jesus resurrected, and uh, his apostles did. Now, Paul didn't see the entire ministry of Jesus. Remember when Peter was going to replace Judas, he said that the requirements would be someone who had been with them the whole time from Jesus' baptism through his death and resurrection. And at that time, they chose Matthias. You know, they cast lots and chose Matthias. So, but God chose Paul independently on his own. Jesus did. So, and Paul emphasizes that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And the quarterly says about that, Casting doubt on Paul's author's authority was not the most serious offense these people committed. Even worse, these troublemakers, called Judaizers, taught the Galatian believers that their faith in Christ was not enough. According to the Judaizers, Gentile Christians needed also to perform certain works of the Old Testament law, especially circumcision. Legalists today 
are concerned about other laws than circumcision, but legalists are still a plague upon the church. They try to impose unnecessary rules on others, and this distracts attention from what really matters. The study of the letter to the Galatians should help us recognize the signs of legalism and appreciate more fully the freedom believers have in Christ. So what are some legalisms that we have in the church now? What categories of Christianity are particularly legalistic, would you say? How about the Roman Catholics? They are Christians, but what is their doctrine of, of salvation? It is faith, but that is not enough. You know, it is faith plus the sacraments, which are works. So now, if how do you know when you've done the sacraments well enough? Well, you don't know. So in Roman Catholicism, you can never know if you're saved or not. And there are many, many churches that uh, add add things to salvation, you know. Armenian churches do this. So they say, you know, after you're saved, if you sin too much, you will lose your salvation. And those are the Church of the Nazarene, is that? The Methodists teach that. Um, and then there are some that say, you know, you're saved by faith alone. But if you do not progress in uh, godliness after this, then you were never saved at all. Right? Can you think of some churches that are like that? That's the church I grew up in, the Presbyterian church. That's Calvinism. Calvinism says you're saved by faith alone, but... If you do not progress in godliness, persevere in godliness through your life, that means you were never saved at all. That's called the perseverance of the saints, which is part of the tulip doctrine, which is a false doctrine. I mean, do we know of people who are saved who have not persevered in godliness from the Bible? So, you know, what we teach here, which is biblical. Of course. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely biblical. And this is what Paul taught. You are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. You go to heaven based on believing in Jesus alone. It doesn't matter what you do. That's a song. That's right. It does not matter what you do. Now, does that mean doing what the Lord tells you is not important? It does not mean that, because the Lord will reward you for following him. The Lord will reward you and use you as you submit to him, as you submit to his spirit. That's what walking in the spirit is. And he will use you for great things if you walk in the spirit which you will lose out on if you don't.
So for an example of an Old Testament, Old Testament uh, character that was saved but did not finish strong is Lot. Right? Lot was saved, and we know that not from the Old Testament. We know it from uh, Peter's epistles. Peter calls Lot a righteous man. And uh, when you read about him in the Old Testament, you do not see a righteous man. I mean, the last thing you read about Lot was him having children with his daughters. So incest, and that's the last thing you see about Lot. And he, he moved to Sodom. But he was saved. And so that is can be true of us. We can be saved by faith and continue to walk according to the sin nature, live according to the sin nature. And so we are not rewarded, but we're still saved because Jesus saves us. We have nothing to do with it. We just believe in what he tells us, and that saves us. Trust and obey is how we're to walk after we're saved. Yeah, and that leads to rewards and blessing. So anyway, good morning, you guys, <laughs> by the way. So verse 2, And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So it is not Paul only who is saying this, and he's saying it to Derby and Lystra, etc. It's, remember, Paul came from Syrian Antioch. One of the churches that he planted was in Pisidian Antioch, which is more toward the west in Galatia. But all the people who were with him understood this doctrine and understood that salvation or justification before God had nothing to do with works. And even in the Old Testament, it had nothing to do with works. It was always in belief in the coming Messiah. That was what saves you from hell. So verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, remember what grace is? God's richest? Riches? Okay, yeah. Right, that's important because grace is favor from God that we did not earn. Right? It is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, grace is the positive side of that. Grace means you get good things that you do not earn. That is grace. And that is how God deals with us. Mercy means that you do not get bad things that you have earned. You earn bad things through your sin. The Lord doesn't punish you fully for your sin. That's mercy. Okay? Grace is when he gives you salvation. Because we could never do enough to earn salvation. And that's how Paul, in general, starts all his letters. Um, grace is the Greeks used in a greeting. And peace, which is the Hebrew word shalom, is more Hebraic, is more of a Hebraic greeting. Shalom, you know, they say shalom to people. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is speaking for God. 
And then he says, and this is another kind of special thing for this letter. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Do we live in an evil age? Yes. I think it's more ev- It's much more evil now than it was in Paul's day. Yeah, we live in an evil age. and But if we trust in Christ, we can be rescued from this uh, cauldron of evil that we live in. We don't have to go along with it. And that also is called walking in the Spirit. And thank the Lord for that. So he gave us to rescue us from this present evil age and also to rescue us from a future lake of fire. Because without Jesus, that is everyone's destiny, the lake of fire. This is Second Peter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power, that's Jesus, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So the more we get to know Jesus, Peter says it's by the true knowledge of him, the true knowledge of Jesus that he grants us everything pertaining to life and godliness. I find this difficult to understand totally, but um, the more we expose ourselves to Jesus, we are transformed, and we're transformed more into his image, and that is how we're to walk rather than relying on rules. Um, The Lord does tell us what to do. He does tell us things to do, and there will be some things in Galatians. Um, But we can't do those perfectly. You know, I mean, that's what 1 John says. If we say that we have no sin, as believers, we are liars. And the truth of God is not in us. Um, That's why he gives us 1 John 1.9. So sanctification, what's the difference between sanctification and justification? Anybody know? These are big words. Remember, there are three tenses of salvation, right? Our past tense, when we first trusted, when we first heard the gospel, you know, Jesus will give you eternal life if you believe in him. He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. When you believe that, That is the first phase of your salvation. That is called justification. That is how you're justified before God. God will not punish you for your sins in hell because Jesus' righteous is transferred to you at the moment of belief. When you believe in him, he takes your sin and his righteousness is transmitted to you, to your account. And that's what God sees when he looks at you. And that's why he can let you in to heaven. 
That's justification. Sanctification is the second tense or part of salvation, which is where we spend most of our lives. From the time we believe till the time we die, or that we are raptured, we spend in sanctification. And sanctification, the Bible is very important. We expose ourselves to Jesus and we allow the Spirit to guide us. Some do that better than others. Lot did not do it very well. Abraham did it better, you know. And so Abraham was more sanctified than Lot was. And we see that today. You know, there are some Christians that they believe, but they don't pay any attention to what the Bible says. They live like the world. And they're not rewarded. And they suffer. They suffer for it because you reap what you sow. Um, but they're still going to heaven. You know, and then there are others who submit to the Holy Spirit and they grow and the Lord uses them and they're blessed. And that's the path that we want to be on. And then the last phase of our salvation is glorification. And glorification begins at death, or the rapture. Because while we're in these bodies, we, have, we fight with sin our whole lives. And it's a struggle. And we have to choose every day. Am I going to follow the Lord, or am I going to follow my own sin nature and do what I feel like? And you can get better at it. You can sin much less, but you cannot become sinless while we're in these bodies. So, and then, you know, Paul goes on to glorify God in verse 5 because of that, because Jesus himself died for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. We can live in the midst of a hellhole. We do. <laughs> and yet we can be rescued from this, not only positionally with our justification, but practically as we follow the Lord, and we don't go along with the world. We refuse to go along with the world, and we instead we do what the Lord says. And Lord, we pray for Nick and his back. And over there looking at him suffer. <laughs> Anything about that? That's Paul's greeting to the Galatians, which is kind of a unique greeting in his epistles. Um, you know, right in the first verse, he reiterates the fact that he was not sent by a man. He was sent by God himself. So he's fighting the Judaizers right off the bat. So the second section is the true gospel versus no gospel. And that's verses 6 through 10. Can I get somebody to read 6 through 10? Okay, thank you, sir. So yeah, Paul gives his greeting, and then he starts off, I am amazed that you are so quickly, and that's the Greek word tachys, like we get tachometer, you know, speed meter, quickly deserting him who called you, that's the Father, you are deserting the Father, who called you by the grace of Christ, that's the Son for a different gospel. 
So he's amazed that they were so quickly deserting. So can apostasy come quickly? Apparently so. <laughs> yes, it can come quickly. We think it kind of gradually deteriorates. And, you know, you think of seminaries, seminaries like the Princeton Seminary or Harvard. Harvard was a seminary when it was started. Um, not anymore. And Princeton is not godly now, you know. And uh, even Dal Dallas, you know, has fallen from the yeah that that is kind of the na the natural state of things and it can happen very quickly you know you just get the right guy in there who thinks you know and uh, the fundamentalism fundamentalist uh, what was the other side liberal divide in the early nineteen hundreds. Uh, the fundamentalists lost that battle and lost the denominations. And, uh, you know, and they published a series of books called The Fundamentals, which are the fundamentals of the faith. Our church is fundamentalist. We're a fundamentalist church. What does that mean? That means we believe the fundamentals that are taught in Scripture. You know, the virgin birth, justification by faith alone, you know, there there are several uh, like that. And, you know, what the Bible teaches about sexuality, um, you know, all those sorts of things. There's disagreement about the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, about biblical authority or something like that. That's right. So I forgot what I was talking about now. But, <laughs> oh, just that it's easy for things to degenerate. That is why the Bible is so important. The Bible is so important in the individual lives, in people's individual life. And it's extremely important in the church. You know, that's why I love Dane teaching verse by verse through the Bible. Because if you don't do that, you, you skip things that are difficult. You know, when you're teaching topical all the time, you tend to not tackle the things that are tough or that are unpopular, you know, to say. If you go verse by verse, you, you run through everything. And uh, so I like that. But anyway, it's very it's easy for things to fall apart very quickly. What happened in the Galatian churches was that they said, well, you're not really saved just by believing in Jesus. You have to be circumcised. Okay, and you know you might you might have to obey parts of the law, you know. So they were kind of making up what they should do, and um, nothing humanly done can be added to the gospel. Well, they were saying you couldn't be a Christian. They were saying you could not be justified. That was their. That was why Paul is so inflamed right. here. But um, what I'm saying now. Right, which were things that the Lord doesn't call us to do. He doesn't call us to be circumcised. That, that That's a good point, though. Once you are saved, someone comes to visit, right? Who comes to visit? Very important. Who comes to enter in you? Who enters in you? 
when you believe. The Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit will help you understand the Bible. The Bible is gibberish to non-believers. They're like, who cares? That doesn't matter. What is that? You know what I mean? Uh, the, the Holy Spirit will give you insight into Scripture, and you get more of that as you submit. You know, when you first become a believer, that you, you are, for a while, you're going to be hard to differentiate from a pagan. Why? Because you grew up that way. And so it takes time to change. And change comes through reading God's Word and saying, okay, I'll do that. But it says, that's what causes change. But nothing can be humanly added to justification. You are helpless. You're dead in your sins. If you try to reform yourself, you have still sinned in the past. You know, and as you try to reform yourself, what you're creating is a hypocrite. And there's not more than one gospel, because Paul says, verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. So if you say there's another gospel, that's not a gospel. There's only one gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Yeah, there is only one gospel, and that is you are saved from hell by faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other way to avoid hell. You cannot avoid hell without Jesus. He is the, and that's why it's called salvation, right? What is he saving you from? He's saving you from hell. And he's saving you because he died in your place. And he rose again. Anything else is not good news. But it is bad news. Why? Because it would rely on men. And things that are included in that are the cults, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Scientists, um, Islam. Islam does not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, Judaism. Judaism doesn't believe their Messiah has come. If you're a sincere Jew, Orthodox Jew, you're going to hell. Sorry to say it. <laughs> Because they do not believe in Yeshua, who can save them. Um, Calvinism. It says, has the P of the tulip. You must persevere, the perseverance of the saints, or you're not saved. That's false gospel. The gospel is faith alone, in Christ alone, without works. You are justified. The works come in relation to reward. Does God want us to do works? Yes, he does. 
but the works must be done in the power of the Spirit and at his guidance. He doesn't want us to think up our own works to do, because those will not be rewarded. Arminianism also, you know, said, uh, you can be saved by believing, but you have to be a good boy to keep it. No, it's not right. Because why? That's not grace, is it? Grace is favor that is unmerited. You don't deserve it, which makes it not seem fair. And it's not fair. <laughs> if God was fair with us, we'd be in trouble because we would have justice and we all, you know, would send ourselves to the lake of fire if, if that was the case. So... That's why Paul is so worked up about this. And then he goes on to say, but even if we verse eight, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, and that in the Greek is anathema. Anathema, yeah. And then verse 9, he just repeats it. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So he is to be anathema, or anathema. So a teacher who adds works to the gospel is under God's curse. So I feel bad for John MacArthur, who does that. John Carther is Lordship Salvation Guy. Or John Piper, who is also a Lordship Salvation Guy, even worse than Car uh, MacArthur. Or the Roman Catholics, you know. Now, all those people, I think, are saved because they believe in Jesus. But they try to add things for the second phase of salvation. You know how most... Right, they're trying to get people to act like Christians, right? That, that's what that's what yeah, that's what John MacArthur said. He wanted to make his people act like Christians, and that's when he started to do this. If you watch that's the TikTok thing. Right, but what is the correct way? The correct way is to look at this. That's right. That's the correct way is to look at this. You know, Paul, the Corinthian church was a mess. The Corinthian church had. Uh, incest in it the corinthian church they were suing each other in pagan courts class systems. they had class systems they you know and uh they were getting drunk at the lord's table and all this stuff paul never said they weren't saved so why are you he were yes exactly that's exactly what he said you know why are you not behaving like saved people that's what he said and so, can a believer behave like an unsaved person? Oh, yes. Yes, they can. And it happens all the time. So, he talks about an angel from heaven. You know, how did Islam start? Islam start when Muhammad saw an angel named Gabriel. An angel named Gabriel came and told him the precepts of Islam. Angel from heaven, so-called. It was a demon, that's what it was. 
And so is, Islam is demonically inspired. And the same thing with uh, the Mormons. Joseph Smith saw a vision. And I don't doubt that they saw these because there are supernatural things that happen. They don't have to be from God. But Joseph Smith saw an angel called Maroni who gave him golden tablets and told him the principles of Mormonism. You know, which is very weird. I mean, the ideas in Mormonism is you can have your own planet, you can be your own god, you can have your own universe or whatever. And that's why they want to have a lot of children, Mormons, because they want to populate their planet. Um, and, you know, they're all works-based. They're all works-based. That's Satan's way. That Satan's religions are all works-based. There is only one true faith, and that is the Jew, the completed Jewish faith, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, or Yeshua. Yeah, I mean, God says that our our works are filthy rags to him, you know, are the works, the good works produced by our flesh. And people can do good works as unbelievers. To God, they're filthy rags. And yeah. Proverbs says that. So that is why we want to learn to walk by the Spirit, because what is rewarded is the Spirit's work through us. Our own fleshly works are, as believers, they're they're not counted against us. Bema seat judgment, they're just not counted. They're just ignored, you know. So, okay. So section C, Paul called and saved by grace. I like that doing the New Testament because it's you don't go so fast. <laughs> it skips so much. <laughs> Okay, that's verse, verses 11 through 17. Paul called and saved by grace. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Okay. So once again, Paul says that the gospel is not according to man. It is not something man would think up. Because the gospel is a death blow to human pride. If you want to be saved, you have to admit that you are helpless. You can't save yourself. You cannot be good enough to please God. You need help. 
Yeah, now, you know, I didn't think it that way when I got saved. I was a, a kid. I was a little kid, seven. And I just saw a gift of eternal life. I was promised that. And I thought, wow, that's... That sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because who isn't scared of death? <laughs> We're all scared of death, right? And so eternal life, that sounded good, but... You know, when you try living for a while, you realize you just can't do good. You can't. You you know, it, it, it just falls apart. Yeah, it just falls apart all the time. So the gospel is not according to man. Um, this gospel is unique. There's nothing else like it in the world of religion, you know. Religion is man's attempt to make himself presentable to God. And the first, the first religion was by Adam and Eve when they sewed some fig leaves to their groin. <laughs> they sewed fig leaves to their groin, and that was religion. Them trying to make themselves acceptable to God. You know, and God said, no, that will not do. And he went out and killed an animal and skinned it, and put clothes on them. No, something has to die. Something has to die for you to be saved. So verse 12, For I ne neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Here he's repeating what he said in verse 1. Well, in verse 1 he said he, his apostleship came from Jesus Christ and God the Father. But also the gospel message that he preached came from Jesus Christ and God the Father. And he received it directly from the risen Jesus at the first on the Damascus Road in chapter 9 of Acts. So, you know, now how do we receive communications from God today? If you wanted to receive a communication from God this afternoon, what would you do? Pray. Read his word. Yes, we, we are blessed in that we have a completed canon of scripture. So if we want to hear from God, we open our book, our Bible, and we read it, and we have heard from God. Because God tells us his plan of salvation from the beginning of creation into eternity future. And, uh, we, you know, if we want to know what to, how to act today, we, you know, expose ourselves to his word and we ask him in prayer, how would you like me to order my day today, Lord? And he will guide us to do that. And that way we can be sure that our lives will be maximized. So do you not want your life to be significant? I want my life to be significant, to make a difference. That's how your life makes a difference. And, uh, you know, we have setbacks. <laughs> uh, but the Lord uses the setbacks too. So verse 13 then, for you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. So 
Paul thought he knew the answer. He was a very extreme Pharisee. You know, he he learned from the best. He learned from Gamaliel, who we see in the book of Acts in a couple of places, who was a very famous teacher of the law in Jerusalem, and Paul was his, you know, one of his best students. He says he, verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen. So he was rising in the ranks of Phariseeism. He was one of the best. And that drove him to an intense cruelty toward Christians. He was cruel. You know, he, when Stephen was martyred, Paul was saying, go for it. And he was holding their clothes. He said, go ahead, kill him, kill him, kill him, you know. And then he was chasing down people, Christians in Damascus, to jail them, you know, probably to put on trial and kill also. He wanted to kill them all. He was a murderer. So then look at verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. What is he saying there? He's saying he was born for this, right? I was born for this. Um, you know, for his early life, he didn't live that way. We know another prophet who was born for that. That's Jeremiah. Yeah, Jeremiah 1.5 says, God saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. So Jeremiah was born for it, and Paul recognized that he was born for this. That's right. Each one, is, each one has his own set of works that God has called us to. So if you're a disciple, not a believer, if you're a disciple, then you will go on and allow the Holy Spirit to use you for those works. So verses 16 and 17, God revealed his son, the same message, the same doctrine, and the same miraculous powers as the other apostles were going on in Paul. But he did not go to them to be taught. He didn't go to a class given by Peter. He didn't go to a class given by John. He went to Arabia and was taught directly by God. And then he came back. He went there for three years. So I'm just going to, I thought with a short amount we would not run out of time, but of course that's because I talk too much, I guess. So verse 18, then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy and they were glorifying God because of me. 
So, Paul did go to see the apostles, but just to get acquainted. He didn't go to learn doctrine from them. Um, and the doctrine that he taught was exactly what they were teaching. It's the same thing. So, this is Paul showing to the Galatians that he is not an inferior apostle. His doctrine is reliable. So, Lord, we thank you for this book of Galatians. It's very exciting, and uh, we thank you that we are saved by grace through faith alone, and so it's not dependent on what we do, and what a relief that is. In Jesus' name, amen.